0: I would like to welcome everyone to uh, a panel that uh, I think is going to provide us with unique insight uh, from three, if I can call you industry gurus on uh, the future direction of uh, the shipping industry. The title of our forum is Sailing Into Recovery. And I think during uh, this day and a half uh, so far, we have uh, sensed uh, cautious optimism uh, from, uh, from every, everyone in the families. Here we have the opportunity to have with us uh, three, as I mentioned, industry gurus uh, Michael Parker, the chairman of global shipping, logistics, and offshore at Citi, Michael Borch, uh, managing director and global co head of transportation, uh, investment banking at Citi, and of course, uh, Dr. Martin Stopford. non-executive president at Clarkson Research Services. So these three gentlemen have a long career in shipping and in the financial capital markets. They will share with us, what is different this time? Why can we look ahead with optimism? What makes the world move differently? Uh, So without any further delay, I will turn it over to them. I would like to thank uh, Martin, who has been with us uh, so many times. Uh, for, for joining us again and of course uh, the two Michaels because this event is organized in partnership with city. So I would like to thank you again for your continued partnership and uh, cooperation and support and the whole city team that uh, shared with us the heavy lifting of putting this wonderful conference together. So thank you very much and Michael uh, Parker, the uh, floor is yours.
1: Thank you, Nicholas. And thank you for this opportunity to uh, speak to this audience. Um, hopefully we will be as optimistic at the end as we hopefully will be at the beginning. I was reflecting that um, it's literally a year ago, Nicholas, that um, you got me and Graham Henderson of in conversation on Zoom. It was my first use of Zoom. Um, and And actually it was surprisingly effective. And, and and that's about a year ago. And what struck me about a number of your panels over the last two days is how much has changed, how the real sense of change around the industry accelerated by COVID, and I think accelerated by this digital format that we're actually talking in, because we're all spending, as you said before to us, that so much time actually talking and listening to each other through this medium, as opposed to Sitting in the Metropolitan Club with half the audience looking at their Blackberries and sending WhatsApp messages to each other. So, you know, I think really there has been a lot of change and that's really exciting. Um, and what I was very excited about was um, I bought this book by Bill Gates. He doesn't need the money. Bill Gates, how to avoid a climate disaster. And what I feel is important about that is both the recognition that technology is so important, but that actually someone who's done so much to help eradicate certain diseases in Africa and the rest of the world is now engaging in climate change. There may be cynics who, who give him other motives, but actually to, for someone like Bill to get involved in, in this. And I want to u- use that to ask Martin a question. Martin and I have appeared many, many times together during the pandemic and, and before. Um, now, Martin, Bill Gates argues in his book and in articles and TV interviews he's done that governments and the private sector need to invest and innovate more urgently in the hard-to-abate sectors like shipping and aviation in order to motivate investors, even if there's a lower cost of capital and thus lower returns. But in the hard-to-abate industries, they, the decarbonisation of the overall global economy will be sped up. Other industries, electric cars, those things will take care of themselves. Now, Martin, you're someone who's previously expressed a view that this will be a slow transformation as in previous technological shifts in shipping um, that have taken much longer periods to transition. Has the last 12 months changed your view? And from a purely technical perspective, what do you feel can be achieved in the next two to three years? Uh, and a secondary question, uh, you were an early advocate of the impact of digitalization on ship operations, as well as the digital sales process, the, the consumer end, if you like. Has COVID slowed one side while accelerating the
2: other? Have you changed your mind, Martin? Uh, well, of course, I always try to say something different in every talk, you know, and then you hedge your bets. Um, but, um, but, Michael, thanks for that um, that question. I, I mean, who can disagree with Bill Gates? You know, he's. Um, we've all lived with Bill, Bill's products for the last what is it? Nearly forty years now, and um, they've done a very good job in many ways. Um, I think um, we know what the goal is. Uh, if there's one thing that's absolutely clear from the last. 12 months, we, we've talked the goal to death. We've talked about every aspect of what we've got to do. And basically, we're expected to continue to move 10 to 15 billion tons of cargo a year around the world. Um, it's just that we've got to do it without fossil fuels. And that is really a massive challenge for something like ships, because um, ships are actually, you know, they're heavy carriers. They're already pretty efficient. And so you've, you've got a, a job to do there. And the problem is, you know, it's, it's it's okay for Bill to say, okay, spend money, invest, but that's easier said than done. I think you know, anyone who's been in business knows very well that you can you, you know, you spend first and repent later, you pour money into you, you you need things you can invest in. And the problem with a lot of the stuff that's available to us in shipping as new technology today is not actually an off-the-shelf product. It's not like buying a robot and sticking it onto a car plant. Uh, You Actually, it's things that are more like the tools that a carpenter uses. You buy the tools, and then you've got to put them to work. And I think there's three three sort of different levels at which we're dealing with um, technology and investment. When you look through these, I think what I'm going to suggest is that maybe you're not going to invest in the areas that you would normally invest in, which is in shipping is very hardware orientated. Um, The first of the three things, well, the three things are improvement engineering, evolving new new ways of operating ships and managing them, and thirdly actual innovation where you come up with completely new designs for, you know, the sort of zero carbon ships and things like that. And to to go back to your question, the only things you can do really within the next two or three years are improvement engineering and maybe evolving systems and things. And the, um, I think, you know, the evidence of people who've looked very carefully into the improvement engineering is that this um, there is a lot of things that you can do on the ship um, you know better heat recovery not just from the exhaust gas but from oil and other things um, and steam management which is a very neglected part of the ship management of, uh, of electricity measuring and managing electricity on board ships is something that's Often not really looked at, and there's some fantastic technology. You don't save an enormous amount, but um, you know LED lights and uh, controlling air conditioners and getting your generating sets to run in in the sweet spot. Not actually because a lot of the uh, electricity is generated by auxiliaries, which are not always running at their optimum output. And these are things that you can do. The problem is that um to persuade companies to do them and very often finance directors don't want to do anything they can't get a 2 year payback on and therefore these so-called small projects of which there are many get left on the side a condition based maintenance another perfect example of this and so you know, you you don't get this sort of total built up of many small things. And I think the essence of a lot of this technology is exactly that. It's building a better product from many small improvements. And that's the improvement engineering. The evolution um, deals with the systems and the way you manage the ships. And the fundamental innovation is where you get onto things like zero carbon fuel, redesigning the whole ship uh, as an electrical ship rather than, you know, you have to really blank sheet of paper and let's rethink the whole electrical system. And these are things you're not going to do in three years. I mean, you know, this is stuff that's going to more like going from sail to steam. This is... 10 or 15 years to get something like that working. So, I mean, my answer is to, to the first question is, oh, sorry, this is getting, <laughs> well, you know, you ask an economist a question and you can't stop it, you know, <laughs> um, but um, you, um, the, the, there's a lot you can do now, but I feel that the organisation structure and the way we run our finance, the way we compile management accounts all this stuff is not really it, it's worked fine over 50 years of minute cost cutting which is really the, the character of shipping in the last 50 years you you shave your costs to the bone so you can pay the banker in the recession you know um, we've got to somehow get to a point where the companies have the resources have the management accounts have the carbon in management information to actually look at this a better way and to cooperate between departments. So that's the first thing. On your second question, um, which uh, I think I've forgotten what it is, Michael. What's... Um, oh, yeah. digitalization? Yeah. Digitalisation, yes. Um, the, um, uh, I think, you, you know, the gist of what you said was that we're moving from uh, it, along two different roads, one of which is um, smart ships or autonomous ships, ultimately, but in the meantime, the a focus on digitalizing what goes on board the ships, which is something I talked about a lot, um, you know, in, for quite a few years now, and the other is uh, using the new and much better um, communications we've got, the satellites and the. Uh, the the matrix systems and so forth to actually improve the logistics. And I wouldn't say that this balance has changed all that much. I think that um, people uh, generally are aware of the logistics and they're aware of the demands for um, uh, telematics on board ships. There's a whole flood of stuff coming out of the equipment industry you know pumps and valves and things fitted with telematic devices and, and mesh systems and things like that. Um, my big pr- concern there is that we're not coordinating it very well so you risk having a fleet of 50 ships with many different systems but um, I, I think um, that, uh, that part of the system um, is moving along but has a long way to go. The uh, logistics system um, is, I think, really struggling quite a lot on the, the the underlying documentation and the fact that to get logistics working, you have to get a lot of different stakeholders all seeing to the same hymn, hymn sheet, as they say. And that okay, is- okay, let's 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 come back to that because
1: I think I think. Um- Uh, I think Michael Bork will have a view on this topic too, but what I think I've interpreted you saying, and I'm comparing it slightly to what the renewal of the fleet panel said a couple of hours ago, um, and it's not inconsistent, but there there are people dealing with the real choices they face. And I think they would agree with your sort of incremental two to three year things. and And that's really associated, I suppose, with the transition being seen to do things in the transition, whilst, of course, preparing to invest for, for, for the bigger things. So, Michael, um, just before you I... answer, just before you
3: ask me a question, Michael, I, I put my hand up because I was keen yep. to ask a question, actually, of Martin. And we can, we can try and frame this quickly. But I wanted to challenge a little bit the thinking, because what I see, and the reason why I'm so very positive is that this, this, roadmap to decarbonization, I think, is actually the best thing that's ever happened to the shipping industry. In the 30 years that I've been in the industry, supply has always been the problem, whether that's supply of ships, supply of capital. Now we have a situation where propulsion is really a question. Actually, to the end user, transportation is fundamentally free. So you have tremendous upside in terms of return on investment, because the cost of transportation is so low. It ought to be the case that when we get into a more supply constrained environment which is going to naturally happen because owners aren't ordering ships we will have the financial ability martin to actually go ahead and do some of these major improvements you're talking about so i think it could be a fundamentally different future where there's just more
1: money to put to work
2: well michael do you want me
1: to ask no, I don't want you to answer that. You can hold it. You can answer it Okay, later. let's
2: hold that thought. I, hold I don't. I, I've got a comment, but I'm not good. Hold,
1: hold, hold that Fair enough.
2: Let, let, this, is, <laughs>
1: this is this uh, is this is a primarily a finance type conference co-sponsored by by City. So let me ask one of the leading practitioners in in investment banking, my, Michael. The equity markets for shipping have been very volatile. We've, we've heard that yesterday and today, but City and you in particular have been involved in the two most recent IPOs, the Flot IPO on the IP, on the Moscow Exchange and the more recent Zim offering in the US, both very different sectors of shipping, different investors. Do you see these as opportunistic one-offs or the start of a new trend, one which is more infrastructure-related in the energy space and one more logistics and supply chain in the container sector? Yeah, I think- is I mean- Zim going to be the forerunner of many more uh, uh, investments by the U.S. equity markets in the container sector. And then a third question for you to cover is, is we often talk about consolidation, and you've personally been involved in many of the container mergers in recent years. Do you think MA activity from outside the industry will become a theme as the lines between industries blur in the face of this technological change and environmental scrutiny?
3: Yeah, so, so thanks, Michael. And actually, my answer aligns a bit with the question I just asked. So I think th- clearly two very different IPOs, but very interesting uh, that they both got done because the equity markets have not been in love with shipping IPOs for the last six years. I'm not clear they're in love with equity IPOs for shipping companies today, but certainly having done these two deals uh, and lots of follow-on equity is also getting done, the feeling is that interest of uh, institutional investors for shipping is coming back what, what I would say is, for me, fundamentally, the really interesting thing about the Zim IPO is that as a practitioner, I have always used price to book value as my north star in terms of how to value a company, whether for m and or for equity. And what you saw with Zim was a company that was essentially a 75-year-old startup because they had accrued losses over so many years that they had no, no book equity to speak of. So how do you take public a company that has no book equity. And, and that's where the pivot happened. That I think it does mark the difference to this concept of a more utility like future where people are rewarding shipping companies and operators by, by, by reference to their earnings. Because what the equity market accepted with Zim was a multiple of earnings. So this was a company that was going to have a steady cash flow stream over a long time. Despite being relatively a subscale company, it was a company that investors thought could compete. And so they accepted this idea of earnings and gave a company an equity value of, today it's close to $2 billion with no actual accounting book value. That is a huge shift for the industry. This was less true of the Softcom flot IPO, which was more traditionally based on metrics like dividend yield price to book value there was a real book value there but also we had very much the argument of uh, enterprise value to to uh, ebitda and the core comp for that company was a diversified shipping company out of malaysia misc and investors cared very much about this idea of an industrial shipping company that would deliver earnings over the long term so i think to be successful what we have to look for are companies that are service orientated rather than commodity companies, and those companies I think will attract investor interest. So I think I've answered question one and question two there in in uh, in the same set of comments. Uh, as for section three or your third question, that's really interesting because if you look at a company like Amazon, Amazon owns its own airline today, Prime Air. And so you have to think, why does Amazon super, super clever, acid light logistics orientated company, very consumer orientated, why do they go and invest in aircraft, which have historically been extraordinarily volatile when lots of other people can do that for them? The reason is that it matters enormously to them that their stuff shows up at the right point at the right time. And so they need to own their own aircraft to. to facilitate that. So yes, you could imagine a situation where a player like Amazon says, I need to control my capacity. The best way to do it is to do m and and buy either a big logistics company or a, or a big container shipping company. I think it's relatively unlikely because Amazon simply doesn't have the expertise, but it's, it's not inconceivable. And then my final remark would be that there's a lot of infrastructure type capital that is definitely coming from outside the industry that is looking at deals, like the TK shuttle tanker deal of a couple of years ago, Um, they're looking at deals where they're seeing infrastructure like cash flows by service providers. So so shipping is always very adept at finding ways to attract new capital.
2: Um, Michael, uh, uh, picking up on the discussion earlier, and uh, Michael Book's point. um, I mean, you've been very much involved in um, getting to Zero Coalition and First Mover Group, and really trying to bring together the stakeholders in this change. I think that um, whatever the difficulties there might be in doing something in two or three years, It's all going to cost an awful lot of money. I mean, we all agree about that. I, that my figure you know, could be between four and eight trillion dollars by the time we finished. So, the question I'd ask you is: How um, is this technology going to? How is the industry going to produce the finance? What's the best route that it can go down to? Um, really get the cash behind the big ticket zero carbon investments that come along when they come along. And that's not just the, the provision of ships, it's fuel as well. It's a good, it's a good, a very good question. And um,
1: whilst I agree with Michael, this last few years has been very exciting in what's gone on in the industry, the next few are going to be. Um, they're going to be huge game changers. And the question as as we've been discussing is, is how fast and where does the money come from? But, but I think what, um, what I'm struck by is the speed with which things are changing. And I think you have to put it in the context of, of COVID, frankly, this is the first global crisis we faced in our lifetime. Some of the issues of course are political um, and, and that's sort of inevitable, but, if climate change is viewed, if you like, as a global challenge, then the pulling together, whether it's technology, whether it is investment, in COVID through the pharmaceutical industry, we've seen what money can do. So I, I am much more optimistic than I would have been even 18 months ago that actually this coming together is not, is not shown. The sort of collaboration people talk about, and I've heard it on some of the other panels, is, is really quite genuine and, and I think people are genuinely excited by it but what I put it in is the broader context which shipping is not used to being part of and needs to be part of from now on is putting it in this context of what do investors want what does Larry Fink write about so you've got a series of things all moving in the same direction where the power of that will make things happen I think more quickly and and certainly I, I can see it, you're, historical knowledge of the, our industry is, is the best anyone could possibly have. But I think this is a, a potential one-off huge shift that we will get net zero emission vessels on the water by 2030. You see it in some of the decisions already being made, clearly dual fuel use of LNG in the meantime is part of that transition. So I think the, 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 the investment will come from governments through subsidies through carbon levies whatever governments regionally or globally decide and the private sector and I think Bill Gates's point really is you know just because it's difficult in these sectors don't sort of leave them behind and I think it's essential for shipping to position itself as the industry that connects all other industries and and so it's through the cargo and this is what fundamentally changes the economics of the industry it's through the cargo paying for the environmental consequences and paying for the technological advances that are needed, that society as a whole will end up paying for this. In previous panels, people have talked about you know, the different, the different cost of shipping a commodity or a finished good or whatever. Because this data on emissions gives us, and regulators and investors all want that standardized, they want to understand it in a way that you know, all of us, it's not just a technical thing for experts, it's all understood by the consumer as well. When we've got that whole new level of understanding, it'll be much easier for people to invest. Now, the challenge, I think, is going to be, this isn't, uh, the older ones, including you two will know the difference between VHS and Betamax. We don't want to have a sort of, there are only two solutions, therefore invest in one of those. We need to see all the different solutions that are being piloted now but a key thing and and we haven't mentioned it yet but we should mention it COP26 in Glasgow in November is a very key event for two reasons one is it is five years post the Paris agreement it's supposed to review that Uh, I think what's happened in the last 18 months suggests that the IMO does need to actually be more ambitious than the current target it has so I think that will be talked about in Glasgow Um, and, and I think Also that what the Climate Change Conference will do is if we show as an industry what the industry is already doing around addressing this issue, I think that will attract the support we need, not just from governments, but also from private investors. So I I agree, it's a very big question, where will the money come from? But as you've seen in the shift in Shell, BP and Total in particular, the energy companies know that they they want to own the next infrastructure and distribution of future fuels that are not just going to power the shipping industry, but are going to power land-based industries. And I think what's essential is that shipping doesn't end up at the bottom of the barrel, as it were, the last in the queue. Shipping has to be part of that on day one. And that's why I liked what Bill Gates said, because if we address shipping, and shipping should come ahead of aviation simply because the technology is there, it's just a question of scale and investment but if we can address an industry-like shipping, we're helping every other industry decarbonize. And so that's why I think we just got this confluence of circumstances and events that are a real game changer, which may well make this happen.
3: Yeah, but 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 the industry has to be profitable. Fundamentally, it has to be profitable. So if the shift to carbon-free means that there's less ordering of new ships, that'll create the financial conditions that allow investment in new technology. And to the end user, to the consumer, at the pump or in the sneaker store, the increase in cost is negligible.
1: And they it's have the
3: benefit. Being, and they have the benefit of thinking that this the you know that that the goods have arrived there in a sustainable
1: way. But the great thing, Michael, as you said earlier, is supply is what's bedeviled shipping. And the great yeah. thing about that logical challenge is it's it's creating a shortage of supply or of capacity. Exactly.
3: exactly. So that's exactly my point.
1: Yeah, exactly. So that will help generate the The earnings, But I think what's also different from things that we've heard in shipping forums for the last 20 years is this isn't about the ship owner bearing the cost. Yes, they can make a contribution. This is about wider society paying that cost and the ship owner accepting that um, it needs to make those investments. If it can get the freight rates it needs, if it can get the retained earning, it needs to continue to invest. I know, Martin, you wanted to come back on a point that we talked about earlier unless you've
2: now forgotten it. No, no. Well, I've got a couple of, I think, um, you know, what you said, Michael, is very very interesting. It's very economical, this. I can agree with both of you with one word, you know. Uh, (laughs) um, It's two bankers versus an economist. What a terrible combination. (laughs) Um, I mean, Talking, you 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 kind you you mention my uh, my historical knowledge, and I do sometimes try to escape from that. But um, what strikes me about the history and finance is that we've you know when uh, that, that we've had very big financial movements in the past, which came up with vast dollops of money when it was needed, and of course the in the last fifty years, one. One was the oil industry financing the big ship. The oil and the steel industry um, financed the big ships that were needed after the second in the 50s and the 60s to carry for the globalization of trade when they moved the, you know, the the steel mills to the coast and all that stuff. That all came out of time charters. And the time charters linked in with the emergence of the Euro dollar market. And you had really money on top. You didn't have to be a rocket scientist to get it. You just had to get yourself a charter and find a indie banker, you know. Um, and then uh, I would say the, the other one was the KG system, which took half the, con- at the point it started at the point that the, yeah, you may you may grimace, but um, the KG system was massively successful. It, it came in in the 90s. And I remember companies like PO were struggling. How you know they were messing around with things like UK tax leases, which, you know, had got three feet of paper to just and, and you never knew what was going to happen. Um, and the KGs came and did it with no hassle and they financed half the containership fees, basically, you know, round numbers.
1: And bankrupted and bankrupted several German
2: financial institutions and the praised- well, I think basically they made a few slight mistakes towards the end, but having nevertheless they got half the fleet on the water very economically, very effectively. And what I'm really talking about is what, you know, what sort of mechanism might we find for the future with all your pals on these um, forward-looking um, you know, Bill Gates behind us, what mechanism could you set up? To turn this stuff out very quickly. And um, the second point I would make is that, um, you know, we also, the, I think the water ballast treatment thing was a bit of a, you, you mentioned VHS and Betamax. And frankly, if you invested in um, Betamax, you lost a fortune, you know. And um, when we went for the water ballast systems, we ended up with 52 different systems on offer and nobody could understand what they did. And equally, um, there's lots of people out there vying for the, the middle of the squash court with um, these operating systems for ships. How is a financier gonna know is know that they're not financing the Betamax of the future? How do you know you've got a depreciatable ship?
1: Sorry, I'm just dealing with someone who thinks I'm in the pay of Bill Gates, because um, I keep mentioning him. I. I I, I think shipping historically has has had these sort of you know great advances. Then we overdo it and people lose a lot of money and nothing happens. But one of the things that is also we haven't really touched on is regulation and, and weak regulation, as you highlight with the ballast water treatment thing. It's clearly an issue. And I think one of going back to Glasgow, the IMO is a UN body, and it's an opportunity for the UN itself to give the IMO some sort of mandate and instruct the countries that sign up to the Glasgow Declaration or whatever comes out of Glasgow instruct those countries to vote in the IMO and other international bodies to actually implement the policies that the Climate Change Conference uh, decides. We haven't got long to go. So I wanted to ask uh, each of you, and then maybe myself, as we're experienced practitioners and observers in this industry, do we think this, I think Michael and I do, I'm not sure about you, Martin, think this is the beginning of the transformation of the industry into a more sustainable, and profitable industry regaining its sort of 19th century role around industrialization and 20th century role in achieving globalization? Or will yeah. it be the end of the industry all subsumed into a small subsidiary of Amazon? As Michael <laughs> has Michael has intimated with, <laughs> with his raising it. Is, is, this, is this, we're going out with a big bang or is this developing a really brighter future for this industry it hasn't seen for a long time? <laughs> As, Martin as, brief Michael Michael you go first I, I think as you've always told me uh, you know there, it,
3: there is no other solution for moving goods economically around the world so unless we're all going to start growing and making our own stuff I'm very confident in the future of the industry I do believe that shipping and logistics will continue to merge and you're going to see much more hybrid type companies where logistics is, is is shipping is part of a logistics chain and and big logistics companies will want to control that more carefully. But I am a firm believer in a bright industry for the future. And I have been incredibly impressed by the innovation. It's a really, really, really incredible innovation. The container box is fantastic. Or multiple tanks on a chemical tank are shipped. It's it's quite incredible what you can do uh, with, with something that is really a basic commodity.
2: Well, that's true. It's a rather uncomfortable fact about that case, though, uh, Michael. That um, there's only about one of the, cont- uh, the liner companies in operation in the '60s survived. It was uh, it decimated the liner industry basically because it was too it was too difficult. You know, you got Andrew. one of the problems is a lot of companies are very locked in their present position, both from balance sheet and operational points of view. And I I would argue that. The, the the problem today is that we and I you know I hate to always be sort of putting the negative side, but um, that we have of course the industry is going to change. The trouble is we've just spent 40 years perfecting an industry which is immensely cheap and cheerful. It's you know, it's it 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 powers a high and sells them cheap. Uh, you know, the average bulk shipping company, maybe two people in the office for every ship at sea. And um, the, uh, the, you know, the sort of personnel systems, all the stuff we've heard about crews um, is just, it, it, during the pandemic, just supports the fact that we don't have horizontal organizations which are really using all this talent that we've got very effectively. So I think it's a very steep hill to climb. And going back to your original question, you know, the first thing I would do is start building teams within my business and hiring good people, because compared with the cost of a ship, it's not much.
1: Yeah, now I think um, I think that's right, and 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 I think my, Michael's point about shipping and logistics sort of merging. I'm reminded of when we launched the Getting to Zero Coalition, the UN Climate Action Week in I think it was September uh, 2019. Um, you know, we thought we were going on a very long journey, I have to say, in sort of 18 months, we've come much, much further. And I think part of that is because uh, not just the collaboration and the the collaboration as opposed to sequential decision making that shipping is used to, but also I think the recognition, finally, of the consumer around what shipping does. It's not perfect yet. Uh, Someone... Uh, I used to refer to often as Greta Thunberg because her generation is the one that is really demanding that uh, every industry, if you like, addresses the environmental consequences. And I think it's it's getting to those consumers, understanding when they buy something, you know, what it, the environmental cost of the manufacture of that, the transport of that, and the recycling opportunity, all those things, that that is you know, that's the new industrial revolution happening. And I think when the World Economic Forum talked about the fourth industrial revolution, they probably didn't, a few years ago, they probably didn't really see that that was actually going to be broader, and maybe faster because of, of other things going on. So I'm, I'm, a, I'm a great optimist. The other thing I feel is that shipping as an industry does respect wisdom and age, even if Martin, you look a lot younger than I know you are, and that actually, it's an industry that long, long may that continue, so that those of us sort of nearing the second half of our careers, as it were, can continue to enjoy the exciting period this is going to produce. And I think it's going to challenge challenge a lot of things that you know we were brought up with when we started in this industry. Half of them have already really disappeared. The other half, I think are also in the process of, of disappearing and I'm very encouraged listening to you know the panels in the last two days and other other zoom webinars and things how much real uh, energy is now coming in to trying to make things happen and I think we've been very good at talking in shipping but I think we are now about to do things in shipping from within the industry and outside that, that make a real difference so I think we're about 30 seconds left, each of you, Michael and Martin, to have a final word before Nicholas and Michael? <laughs> I, was
3: being, I was being polite. And, no, but thank you very much, Michael, and thank you for moderating. And, and as ever, it's a pleasure to be with the two of you. And, uh, and hopefully our audience has, in, in, has had an opportunity to enjoy our conversation.
2: Yes, the party's not over. To be continued, I think, is the appropriate comment, uh, Michael, and thank you very much, uh, Nicholas, for hosting us.
0: Well, I'm uh, the one thanking you. Frankly, I'm not trying to flatter you, but uh, it's not very uh, frequent that we have the chance to listen to so much insight. you know, in one place. So I'm delighted uh, that uh, you were all three available to do it. Thank you very much. And uh, I look forward to the next one.
1: Your problem, your problem, Nicholas, your problem is you're never going to fill the Metropolitan Club again, because we'll all want to do it this way. <laughs> you know, I'd like, like a drink.
0: <laughs> I, I think it will be very interesting to see how things will uh, develop uh, over time i'm sure that when we can all travel everybody will rush to the airport uh, and we're going to go all over the world but after we do that for a short while maybe people will say do i need to do it so so it will be very interesting to see how things are going to pan out anyway but in the meantime tremendous thanks uh i really appreciate it and uh have a great evening uh, to all three of you in london thank you thank you
2: bye-bye now bye-bye